Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. I love this series on Heart for the House because you know, it's, it's what our, where our heart is, that's where our treasure is. And that's where, you know, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, it, we, when, we, when it comes to building for the future, where our heart is is so important. And so I want to talk about um, where the good things grow. Where the good things grow. I don't know how many of you are gardeners in here. Uh, how many horticulturalists do we have? If you're online and you're a horticulturist, just post a, a picture of whatever you grew this year, as long as it's legal. And <clears throat> I guess it's all legal now, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's good things that grow in our lives. But what I've discovered is that when I when I started taking an interest in gardening, I discovered I wasn't very good at it. Like I would plant things and nothing would come up. And, or all the wrong things would come up. And it's like, well, where's your tomatoes? Well, the tomatoes, that little thing that's this big, and, and the weeds were all like four feet tall. And uh, Jesus actually taught a parable about planting and growing and, and harvests. And it's called the, the parable of the sower and the seed. And uh, this is Jesus. He, he often told stories to make his point. And this was, this was a story that at first the disciples just didn't get it. So I'm, I'm going to read it to you right now from Matthew chapter 13. It says this. Consider this. This is Jesus speaking. There was a farmer who went out to sow seeds. And as he cast his seeds, some fell along a beaten path and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell onto gravel that had no topsoil, and the seeds quickly shot up, but when the days do, grew hot, the sprouts were scorched and withered because they had insufficient roots. Other seeds fell among the thorns and weeds, so when the seeds sprouted, so did the weeds, crowding out the good plants. But, this, but other seeds fell on good, rich soil that kept producing a good harvest. Some yielded 30, some 60, and some even 100 times as much as, been, as, as he had planted. If you're able to understand this, then you need to respond. That's interesting that he would say it like that. If you're able to understand this, you need to respond. And if you read that in Matthew 13, the disciples later said, Lord, why are you talking in stories all the time? We don't get it. We don't understand what you're trying to tell us. And so what we see here, just some quick observations, the seed is the same. There wasn't different seeds put in different places. There was just the same seed that ended up in different places. And the results of that seed being sown in different places varied from place to place. The difference was not the seed, but it was the soil. The difference was the seed, not the soil. And so what we, what we can just deduce from that is that there are soil conditions that are conducive to seeing dramatic results. There's soil conditions that are conducive to seeing dramatic results. And now you might be saying, that's great, horticulturalist Mike. What does this have to do with me? And so then Jesus, he, he, he told this story to the masses, but then he actually took his disciples aside and he said, okay, I'll explain to you what 
this story means. Sit down, take a seat, grab your coffee, and listen. And so he said this. He said, the seed that fell on the beaten path represents the heart of the one who hears the message of the kingdom realm but doesn't understand it. The adversary, the birds, then comes and snatches away what was sown into his heart. The seed sown on gravel represents the person who gladly hears the kingdom message, but his experience remains shallow. Shortly after he hears it, troubles and persecution come because of the kingdom message he received. Then he quickly falls away, for the truth didn't sink deeply into his heart. The seed sown among weeds represents the person who receives the message, but all of life's busy distractions, his divided heart, and his ambition for wealth result in suffocating the kingdom message and prevent him from bearing spiritual fruit. As for the seed that fell upon good, rich soil, it represents the hearts of people who hear and fully embrace the message of God's kingdom realm, or the message of heaven's kingdom realm. Their lives bear good fruit. Some yield a harvest of 30, 60, even 100 times as much as was sown. This is a pretty good parable, isn't it? Now, why did Jesus tell us this parable? He didn't do this so, he could, so that we could have a grading scale for the soil of our life. You know, well, I'm, I think I'm one-third rocky, you know, one-third one, you know, one thorny. I'm obviously a little thorny because my wife says I'm a prick. Um, and she doesn't say that, by the way. She has nothing but the highest praise for me most of the time. You know, Jesus, I believe Jesus was telling this, this parable because he, want, he, he was telling us, you have control over the type of soil that your life is or the type of heart that you have. And so what is, what is we, we see the four different kinds. The, the first was the, the seed that was sown on the path. This was, this was stolen by the birds of the air. And uh, this, is, this is where he said, why was, why was that seed or why was that message stolen? He, well, he said it was because of lack of understanding. And what, well, what, what's that? That's, that's like, the, that's like the, per, the kid that goes to college. And the first time that they have to manage their own finances, they have to manage their own resources, they have to earn their own income. And then this is where they start to say, how come nobody taught me about budgeting in school? The simple fact is you probably were taught budgeting in school, but you had no context to apply. When you, when you go to, when, when you're in school, it, it, you know, you're, you, the food magically appears in the fridge every week. Meals just come on to the table. You just show up at six o'clock and there's food on the table. The gas is always on. The hot water is always there. And it just happens, you know, as you're a teenager. And so when someone talks about budgeting, it's like, what's the big deal about budgeting? But as soon as you have, as soon as you have to manage your life on your own, context makes all the difference. And so the first one is lack of understanding. The second one he talks about is this rock, uh, is the rocky soil. And, and this is where he, he says, this is where it, the roots don't go deep. 
It's lack of deep and meaningful connection. As soon as trouble comes, it didn't, he doesn't say if trouble comes. He says as soon as trouble comes. So sometimes we go through life hoping trouble won't come. I guarantee you trouble is coming. As soon as trouble comes, all intention of living well disappears and, and that person is overcome. It's a way of living that doesn't allow depth to be established in our lives. The third one he talks about is thorny soil. The cares of this world is what he calls that. The cares of this world, the desires for wealth. is He's very specific. And uh, I think this one, I think he's actually talking, he's, he's giving this one as more of a warning than an observation. If your life is about what you get, if your life is about what you have, the life and promise of God is going to get choked out by that. And it's a very interesting study throughout, uh, throughout the Bible is to do a study of, of the role of wealth in the life of a believer. And uh, it, it, it will surprise you. And there are so many warnings tied to wealth about your heart. There's so many warnings. It just got really quiet right there. Jesus, made, Jesus just came outright and he said it. If you want to serve mammon, which is wealth, it's actually mammon was actually the idol that represented wealth. If you want to serve wealth, you won't be able to serve me. He just he just cut it clear. We don't sometimes we don't like that message, do we? I don't want to hear that. I want Jesus to tell me I can have everything I want and him. And you say, are you saying wealth is bad? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if our purpose is to serve it, we won't serve Jesus. If we're serving it, you know, it, it's so often that we, we, if, you know, what we serve, it dominates us. But if we, put, if we take wealth and we make it serve us, then it can, it can accomplish great things. It can accomplish great things. All right, and then the last one. This is a good one. Fertile soil. The good soil. The soil that produces 30, 60, and 100 times what we put in it. This, when it comes to our life, this, what he's talking about is he's talking about a transformed life. He's talking about a life that is seeing, uh, seeing dramatic results as a result of the message that it's received. And uh, we could, he's saying that, that this is where good things grow, but they don't just grow a little bit, they actually multiply in our lives. There's, the results are dramatic. And so he's talking about transformation. So I wanna talk about what do we learn from this about transformation? What do we learn from this, this parable about transformation in our own lives? Well, one of the things we learn about transformation is that um, you know, spiritual practices are important. Spiritual practices are important. Spiritual, we've been talking about this thing called formations or spiritual practices. They are important. And you know, the purpose of practices, they're not actually to transform us. They're to put us in a position where God's love can transform us. The, the, the practices themselves, in fact, there's a danger with the spiritual practices. There's a, a danger, because I grew, I, grew up in, I grew up in a very liturgical style of church growing up, and I learned a lot of things young, but I never learned why. And so as a result, it just looked like a big rule book. And now, 
after, when I understand the why, it's like, oh, these things are designed to create time and space for God to work in our lives. But without understanding we're trying to create time and space, it just turns into a list of to-dos. And it actually isn't life-giving. It actually becomes just another weight that we try and carry. The reason, the reason for spiritual practices or formations is that you and I have hearts that tend to wander. We tend to get distracted very easily. Our day-to-day -day activity is surrounded by constant noise, constant arguments, opinions. Just try and get away from opinions in today's day and age. It's very difficult to do, isn't it? And most of, the, most of what's around us does not give us life or peace on a regular basis. It, to, to experience life, to experience peace, we need to create that time and space to experience that. Spiritual practices clear space for God to work in our lives, both individually and corporately. It's like you want to have a special guest over at your house, but your, your guest room is full of junk. Have you ever been there? It's like you think we would, it would be really great to have a room where you know, we could have people come over for the weekend or we can have guests come in and stay with us, but that room is just full of boxes. And you're just storing all that junk from the past. Well, what spiritual practices are, it's cleaning out the guest room. It's cleaning out the guest room so you have room for the greatest guest. See, practices, these, these things we call forma formations or practices, they don't create love, but they make space for love. They can facilitate love. You say, well, why, do we, why are we talking so much about these practices lately? Well, if you wanted to go, if you wanted to take a trip and climb up Mount Everest, and I was your trainer, you know, you know what I would talk a lot about? Cardiovascular health and exercise. We would be going for runs. We would be doing oxygen restrictive training. And you would, you would say, I'm tired. We did a long run last week. Isn't that good enough? No, because you want to go up Everest. It's, you need to you continue to train for that. Well, if we want to experience life, we continue to make room for that life to be experienced. The practice of simplicity, it won't give us life, but it'll help us protect our life from being overtaken by anxiety and the, and the financial anxiety of too much stuff. The, the practice of silence and solitude, it, won't, it by itself won't give you peace, but what it can do is that practice can clear space in our hearts, in our lives, to sense God's presence and to cultivate a rich inner spiritual life. The practice of Sabbath, it's not going to, it's not going to fix your family. It's not going to fix your relationship with God, but in practicing it, you are allowing a pause in your week. Where, you, where you, liter you, you deliberately set aside certain distractions so that you make room for family, so that you make room for friendships, so that you make room for the presence of God in your life. It won't do it for you, but it's making room for it to happen. What else do we learn? What else do we learn through this, this parable? We learn that willpower alone is not enough. Willpower alone is not enough. And so often we think that we just have to want something more to make it happen. 
We just have to, my, my, my desire is not enough. But the thing is, with these, with these four examples that Jesus gave, three of them all had a will to receive the seed. Three of those examples, they all had a will to receive God's message. But only one of them actually produced something good. See, the, the problem is our will changes throughout the day. You know, we get up, it's like today will be the day I exercise and eat right. And then by 7 o'clock, I'm too tired to exercise. And then we're walking over to the chip cupboard and grabbing a bag of chips. Washing it down with a tub of ice cream. Isn't it true? Our will changes through the day. Our will doesn't remain the same. My will says, I'm not going to respond in anger to my spouse the next time they ask me to do something. Been there? And you get home from work. It's been a long and stressful day. There's been crises. There's been, there's been people bringing complaints. You found out that, that something cost way more than you thought it was supposed to cost. And you get home and it's just... You're just done. And then your wife turns to you and lovingly asks you, did you remember to pick up the chicken for supper? <laughs> and instead of saying, oh, my dear, my love of my life. <laughs> I have nothing but to desire to please you. I shall turn around and go henceforth to the Safeway <laughs> and get thine chicken. No, it's, don't you understand how stressful I am? My will says, I will not respond this way anymore. And I'm lucky if I make it 24 hours without responding exactly the same way I always have responded. Dallas Willard writes, we, we have to learn to use our will, but understand the limitations of our will. You maximize the effect of your will by using it to direct yourselves into experiences and environments that will change your mind, body, and social relations, and your soul for the better. We have to understand the role that will plays. Will does not carry the strength to change, but our will can get us into places where we can experience change, where we can experience transformation. And this is a, the next thing we learn from this parable is that transformation depends greatly upon our environment. Transformation depends, depends greatly on our environment. 30, 60, and 100 fold, it, this is not some magical God blessing that some people get and some people don't, but this, this type of result, it, it's the result of being in a certain environment, of having a certain environment in our, in, in our lives. It's not done through just willpower. It's done through environment. Jim Wilder, a neuropsychologist, he writes in his book, uh, Renovated, which I would highly recommend for those of you that let, like the neuroscience or the neuro, sorry, he's a neurotheologian neuropsychologist. Very interesting. And he writes in, in his book, neuroscience tells us that brain functions around attachment, not will. 
Our brain functions around attachment, not will. Western Christianity has placed will and learned knowledge at the center of faith while giving token recognition to the importance of our environment and our relationships. And how many of you have just had the same experience, the same vicious cycle? We will to do something. We, we say, I, I really want to do this. So we go about learning about something only to find that we still aren't different. And so then we, we, we go back to this vicious cycle of, well, I must not have learned the right thing. So then we go back to trying to learn something only to fail again. And then after, a, after that goes on for a certain number of cycles, we get to the point where we think, well, maybe this doesn't work. Where we have elevated this learning Pursuing more knowledge, we've put this at the top of the priority where, where that's actually not the most transforming thing. Listen to this. Again, Jim Wilder, the will, our desire, the will is the farthest component from our identity as the brain can separate things. The brain does not revert to our will as its central feature. It reverts to its attachments. What we love and who we love will form our identity long before our will ever gets involved. Isn't that interesting? Excuse me for a moment. It's our environment, what we're attached to, what we're connected to. I want to just throw this out there for you to consider. We are the most educated, knowledgeable generation to exist on the planet. If learned knowledge was the key to transformation, we should be the most Christ-like generation of the church to ever walk the planet. Are we seeing that? Well, in some places. But I'll guarantee you it's not what they learned that made them that way. It wasn't what they learned that made him that way. When I, read, when I read the original church as it first started in the book of Acts, how they gathered together, they did learn. They gathered together, they had fellowship, they prayed together daily. And then there's one point at the end that just, just bashes my Western brain sideways. It says they all sold what they had and put it in common and then distributed as all had need. And I just think we are so far away from that in our Western Christian culture. That scares me. Even talking about it, it's like, am I going to get like an email saying, are you a communist? Like you just don't send me an email. No, it, this was, and some of this is context. You have to realize this was a persecuted church that was, that was living in poverty. And we had, you had people that, that had lots and you had people that had nothing. And the people that had lots said, we were going to make sure the people have nothing, have food and have clothing. That, but that is a, that's a radical type of Christianity. All right, where, where are we at in the notes today? We don't become spiritually or emotionally mature through knowledge and willpower. We become mature through attachments and our relationships. 
The very first thing we discover about God is that he exists in relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit, and we're created in his image. So we're created to thrive in relationship. The first thing that he pronounced not good was what? Then when he saw that Adam was alone, and he said, that is not good. I have to make a companion for him because he will thrive in relationship. Simply put, the greatest chance of transformation occurs when we live in healthy relationship, in a healthy environment. And the cross, it wasn't just to restore us in relationship with God, but it was also to restore us in relationship with one another. You look at how much the New Testament deals with healthy relationship. Jesus, he said, uh, this is how the world will know you are mine, by the way that you love one another. That's relationship. He didn't say by the way you'll be able to rattle off the 10 points of doctrine or have all of your theology in order. He said, the world will know your mind because of the way that you love one another. Jesus commanded us, love one another, forgive one another, bear one another's burdens, encourage one another. All of those things are done in relationship. It's interesting, in the New Testament, most instances of you actually aren't singular. The noun you is plural. So it says, James 5.16, when he says, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other, when it says your sins, that's plural. Confess, plural, your sins to one another so that you, plural, may be healed. Galatians 6.2, it says, carry one another's burdens and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. That's plural. In, in this way, you all will fulfill the law of Christ. Hebrews 10.25, let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. Our relationships shape us. Our relation, any parent of teenagers knows the truth of this. Relationships shape us. Because you've watched how relationships have shaped your teenagers. And let me, let me talk to all, all of the young families. Maybe you've got, you've got the, the preteen uh, kids in your home right now. Something's going to change in your, teen, in, in your preteen when they start to hit about 12 years of age. They, see, from, about, from, from the time they're born to about 12 years old, they find their identity in their family. You are the primary influence in their life. But what happens after that, about age 13, age 14, something's going to happen with your, with your preteen that's going to scare you. And I'm, honestly, speaking from experience, you're going to feel helpless at times. They're going to start to develop this thing called group identity. And instead of identifying in the, themselves in the context of what does my family do, they're going to start identifying themselves in the context of what do my people do. If God's house has become their people, then they will start to think of themselves as the children of God. If their school, if they're, you know, just insert the, the, the blank. There's all sorts. School, sports, parties. If that becomes their people, they'll start to identify themselves accordingly. 
Even Paul said, don't you know that bad company corrupts good character? And having gone through these very helpless feeling years, I, I would give this advice to parents, especially parents with young kids. Help them find their people. Help them find their people. Be deliberate in who you let your kids connect to, both at a young age, but also, you know, that, that there's a reason we have, uh, we have CLY, the City Life Youth. There's a reason we have Voltage. There's a reason that we have these groups. It's because we want them to become their people. Because environment more than willpower will shape who we become. In fact, Monica and I were talking about this uh, during supper this week, that there was a common thread among, when we went to Bible school, there was a common thread among those who made it and those who didn't. And it came down to one thing, Boston pizza. And when we were looking back over, the, over time, we realized, you know, there is a common thread as to who made it. It was all of us that after church, we went and hung out at Boston Pizza. That's those of us that are still in the ministry, still in church, still thriving in our faith. We would, we would just go and be together in relationship. That became our people. Our people shape us. So here we are in this season we're told, limit your interactions with others. Go home and stay home. Sit down and shut up. But I would encourage you, make sure that you're pursuing the right relationships. Might not be able to pursue all of them, but make sure you're pursuing good ones. And if you're at home, don't just stay at home, but reach out. Even if that's online, reach out and connect. Thriving is not an accident. It's the result of being connected to the right people. And you know, we talk about heart for the house. Heart for the house is not about a building. It's about our people. It's about building an environment. It has, the building is important because a building is a place where our people come together. It's a place where we get encouraged by our people, but it's also where we encourage our people. Because sometimes you need to see someone smile, but sometimes someone needs to see yours. Someone needs that encouragement from you. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a give and take relationship. Let's stand up because I've run out of time. You know, Jesus didn't just invite us to believe in him. He actually called us to experience him with one another. He called he called us to experience him with one another. And wherever you're at, you know, maybe you've, maybe you've been a part of the church world for a very long time. Maybe you're here or, or you're, you're watching online for the very first time and you're thinking, you know, I've never had those, those types of life tra transforming connections. Or maybe you're thinking, you know what, I've had all the wrong connections through my life and this is connecting a lot of dots for me. His invitation, Jesus invites us to follow him and connect to him. I'm just gonna lead us in a prayer right now. And if you're here and you're saying, you know what, I wanna make those connections with Jesus and I wanna make those connections with one another, you can just 
join me as I pray. Let's pray together. Jesus, I want to know you. I want to experience you and your plan in my life. I want to experience life-giving relationships. Would you help me to see where I should connect, where I should let my roots go deep, and where I should pull the thorns that are crowding out your life. I want your best. Give me the wisdom to live for you and experience your transforming power. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.